Aaron, defender of the galaxy. Pew, pew, pew. Captain. That's it. Yeah? The yeah. aliens up? will be here in... <laughs> Too late, Aaron has dispatched them already. Uh, hey, welcome to Frame Rate. Show where you rate frames. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what you're mm-hmm. listening to. That's my pal, Abe Epperson. And that's my pal, Michael Swain. And wah, wah, we wah, mentioned wah, wah. Uh, a third person, not a very special guest, but a very special being. Uh, Aaron, Defender of the Galaxy, who brings you this episode of Frame Rate. By subscribing to the Patreon at the Pick the Flick tier. So thank you, Aaron, very much uh, for bringing this into our lives. And you you offered that we could watch either The Happy Poet or a Mel Gibson movie. So we chose The Happy Poet. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. Look, look, thanks. Thank you for your support. Yes. Thank you for your support. And in Aaron's defense, it was one of the... Uh, two acceptable Mel Gibson movies to still like, one of which is Chicken Run, which Aaron picked, and one of which is, of course, Maverick. You can still like Maverick. I'll allow yeah. that. It's just Only so for William Goldman. <laughs> for the Goldman effect, that's right. But, uh, yeah, so we didn't get a guess this week, and mm-hmm. I think... I think I'm glad, Abe. I think I'm glad. We'll let Aaron tell us if it annoys them. But uh, I think this is a movie that's really, really small and intimate and a special little treat just for me and you specifically. And most of the stuff I got out of it is about you and I and our partnership, our artistic partnership. So I don't know. Making us making an independent film. So just if people probably haven't seen it, because this is a film that was it it went to the Venice Film Festival was seen by very few people. We're talking box office like three thousand uh, dollars. You, you can tell it was like filmed with like available light, and um, mm-hmm. it would be what I would call like a mumblecore movie, um, written, directed by, and starring Paul Gordon. Yeah, so it's like this very small, humble film, and that's a hard thing to do, and I, as well, when I was watching it, couldn't help but reflect on the fact that this came out in 2010, and in 2010, you and I were making a movie uh, that was made for like $90,000 with a lot more bells and whistles. Yeah, Kill Me Now, you can check out the movie we were making right around the same time as The Happy Poet in in its entirety on uh, YouTube, so please do that, but... uh, I think you're going to get a lot of reminiscing because, yeah, the exact same thing, of course, struck me, especially because in a nutshell, uh, this movie's mm, deliciously easy to nutshell. Our hero, Bill, uh, is a is a poet, but not a professional poet, just someone who has written poetry and starts a healthy food food stand and uh, with his like weird uh, to friends friends in quotes but just people other he meets while people who are in his life his like yeah. first two customers basically <laughs> essentially one of them and is a friend one of them one of them's a friend because they're at a party at night hanging out and he goes hey i'll join your business and he goes cool and the other guy is just this guy he met at the park who came by the stand and uh together they form an unlikely trio expand the business suffer f- setbacks and then ultimately the business becomes big and becomes like quote unquote a real restaurant and that's it that's the story uh Mm -hmm. but it's quite obviously 
uh, speaking to any sort of artistic endeavor, right? And really any endeavor at all, what it is to strive, uh, it, which is sort of putting grandiose terms around this simple, a very humble mumblecore movie that reminded mm. me more than anything of, which makes sense because it's out of Texas, but like Mike Judge, like really unassuming. Uh, yeah, I mean, Abe nailed it. Mumblecore is the word. But. Yeah, and for people who don't know what mumblecore is, real quick, like it's mm-hmm. just um, there was a little film movement that occurred that like um, early work by the Duplass brothers, Noah Baumbach, I would say, is probably in this category. And what it is is it's uh, films that are usually younger people. Um, and they don't have a lot of blocking or action. It's almost all dialogue with scenes, people sitting in rooms often made for very little. Um, and a lot of the time they say cryptic things or the dialogue is stilted in a way that is noticeable. Um, some um, people s- might call it twee or whatever, but yeah, that's yeah. the, I think it started it's interesting in, like in that I associate with mumblecore stuff being stilted, uh, in an, a way that actually makes it seem more authentic and organic, which is funny because the word stilted we usually use to mean not, not realistic, yeah. right? But the great, I mean, traditionally, the great gift of storytelling and especially film, a medium like film that's really so short, right? Even a four hours is not that much of your life. Uh, it cuts out bullshit that in real life would be pointless and boring to say, but actually gets said like, what? I'm sorry? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, he went down the street. I, he'll be back at some point. I didn't ask. Four dollars. Shit like that, right? We Mundane, cut that shit out. Yeah. Mumblecore yeah. keeps that shit in. It's like, what if a movie was that realistic? Mm-hmm. And uh, it didn't shy away from being quote-unquote boring at times. Uh, so that's this kind of thing. And I forgot to say, because it's almost so nonchalantly thrown in there he falls in love and gets married and impregnates a beautiful woman also Uh, but like if you follow me he makes a food cart he starts from nothing he ends up happy happily ever after and for being so traditional like that's almost a fairy tale structure uh Mm. it combines that with a very non-traditional execution other than the people abe mentions like yes other people have done this tim heidecker's the comedy came to mind for me but um, it does make it feel, well, let's dig into it. Abe, what'd you yeah. think of the happy poet? Well, How'd it make you feel? You know me, Michael, mm-hmm. and you know, my tastes, this is not typically my, this is not my bag mm-hmm. of veggies here. Um, it's like, I, I don't, I always, I don't know. I don't know if I, you know what, I'll just fucking dive in. <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to really start with this, but I, I guess let's just have it out. Like, uh, the, the final shot, which is him saying, I don't think I've ever been this happy before. And he has I this dead so hard. I didn't laugh. I, 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 I don't know how to describe it. And you know what? Film's main thing is to make someone feel something. So there, there we go. But he's got this deadpan look on his face and I understand that it's a joke. It registers as irony. But I just don't know what it's for, though. Like, what's the point? Why is he unhappy and happy at the same time? What does it say? I know this makes me either dumb Why is or the a happy humorless dick. Yeah, yeah. And, but it, here's the thing. 
Well, it is anti-comedy in a way, for it's sure. It's anti-comedy, and I understand, and I do like some anti-comedy. There's some very great non-sequiturs and stuff like that. Like, you mentioned Tim and Eric. There's a lot of funny stuff there. Uh, Tim Robinson, etc. cetera. Uh, I want to get it, but I feel like I'm dumb or excluded from the joke, and I'm a Neanderthal, so that kind of makes me angry. That <laughs> kind of make me mad. <laughs> it kind of make um, me mad. I'm like, why is it that I don't get this? I feel like I should be getting this because it feels like the most softball joke in the world, but he ends his movie on it with such a punctuation, and I only elevate this moment because it's like a nutshell for me um, for this movie is that like – why, if it's a movie about passion, is he so passionless? Um, well, and of course, this has been done straight, so to speak, in the movie Chef, right? Chef is literally the same story using the same metaphor, a food truck yeah. as a metaphor for artistic for endeavor. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it's much more of a four quadrant, happy, like family comedy. And he falls in love and gets married it's, in that movie. It's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And it's good. Analogy. It's really good. Chef uh, is really good. I like that one because you feel John Favreau's passion for food. He wants to. And make you're saying, food. why and do we care about Napoleon he loves Dynamite? His son. Right. He loves his son, wants him to engage in the world around him and be a part of his life now. That's way different than this guy, right? Well, you're saying, okay, yes, but a uh, few things. One, I did write, okay, so that joke did make me laugh really hard, but I also, in the same breath, immediately wrote in my notes, it kind of sucks that the last moment of this film is the first moment that I fully understood the extent to which he's in on the joke and that he really did mean it to be funny. Yeah. And I wish that he had had some broader jokes throughout to clue me in that I was supposed to be watching it through that lens because I really thought he was anhedonic as a, and I think it's both. Oh, I think no. it is a statement on, on anhedonia and depression, right. chronic depression and a statement and it's used for comedic effect. But it, I, I do think, think it's things. a kind of a weakness that it took me till the end to go. Okay. It was a joke. Sometimes, sometimes those were jokes. Okay. Right. Um, and I thought it was really funny in retrospect, but I don't, I agree that that's, you could call that a flaw, right? Or you could call that, well, that's weird. You kind of traditionally want to know that there are jokes or it mm -hmm. wasn't funny, <laughs> right? By definition. Um, yeah. because I will say that, but I'll also say that it's mumblecore itself is almost a living embodiment of Okay, so I you before we started taping, you asked me how I'm doing, and I said I'd say on the pod because it's pertinent. Right. This is the most closely you've ever caught me uh, in the midst of a full-on depressive, like, panic episode yeah, right before I, a pod. I assumed, yeah. Oh, you could tell. Okay. Or you mean because when I say I'll save it for the pod, it's usually uh, that. Well, you know, you didn't play video games with me last night, and then... This morning, I saw your twi your Twitter when I woke up, and I was like, "Hmm, the things I know, my friend." But yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. man. But it was uh, like I'm just sorry to hear that. Thank you, uh, but I bring it up because I do think it's highly relevant. So I've been depressed for about a day and a half, and I have been acting like Bill. And watching the movie, I was like, "I'm so great." This is good to say. Nowadays, I'm rarely this depressed it's because i'm fucking with my medication right now like there's mm -hmm. a known reason okay. but uh so don't worry too much out there in radio land but the point is i actually got to watch this movie when i was like a sad sack anhedonic puddle on the couch uh which i think 
and thinking thoughts like, uh, you know, oh, patronage is down. Uh, that means we're not funny. My our this movie's not gonna go. You know, if you listen to our other podcasts about Papa mm-hmm. Bear, like it's all gonna fall apart. Why? Because we're bad and we're not talented. And like, um, and at the same time, having thoughts like, why? But I have Abe in my life. Why can't I just be happy for the good things I have? Like, we got mm-hmm. we get to work and write together. Yeah, you can't be happy about those things because you're a self centered piece of shit who'll only be happy when you get the impossible. You know, like you can always make it worse. Like if you're smart, you can recriminate yourself deeper and deeper and deeper in this hole. And uh, then I watched this movie about a guy who. I think is supposed to embody and a genre that embodies uh, people who straight up do not have anything obvious going for them. And there are a lot of people like that with that lot in life in the world. Like there's a monologue early in the movie where he says, um, I, the th- reason I think people are want to find a partner is so that they have someone they like who's around so that their job that sucks seems a little more bearable because most people's jobs suck. And it's easy to forget how, lucky we are even though we're not you know what i mean like i know you're working on edits that you would rather work on different more fun edits Mm -hmm. but we get to do the thing a little bit sometimes and uh basically not work at a factory punching holes in sheets of metal right and uh i do think that it's important to have stories for people with sort of that lot in life and it's not about He's the special boy because he has a special vision or he's especially handsome or charming. No, he's none of those things. He just showed up and he has value just because he's a human being alive. Like, can't he just, can't he get a story just because no reason. (laughs) I actually think there is something endearing about that. Yeah. No, that there, there's charm in that, in that, in itself. Like, um, yeah, I you know what's interesting is the you mentioned that and the movie I watched after this was Tender Bar. Have you seen that? No, not yet. I and that's also about that. It's about a mm. young kid dealing with trauma, but like ultimately like of his father, but like ultimately he doesn't know what he wants until like he he needs a narrative out of his life and he does he's not getting it and uh we we put ourselves to under this microscope so often and compare our you know our dailies to uh, others highlight reel um so often yeah. that it's like sometimes just existing is enough um you can change someone's life and this movie definitely has that there's a literal there's a character who's like when he eats the first, you know, the first customer, essentially, because he the first day he goes out and tries to sell it, uh, gets zero it's, customers till the end. Everyone of the day. throws it away yeah. or they hate it or whatever, because it's, you know, it's veganism or whatnot. And so jokes. But one guy who's just like, oh, you're going to throw all this stuff away. He's like, yeah, I'm going to throw this away so you can like have this. And he like eats it and he goes, man, this is great. And it's like such a typical beat. Like it's almost to the point that I was like assured that when I was watching a movie that would happen you know like as soon as I saw him drive up on his bicycle I was like I bet he's gonna like the food uh but that that kind of criticism or that kind of expectation uh Mm -hmm. sometimes gets us away from the point of yeah all the all this movie is trying to do is simply say a very structureless thing uh and even though I can be critical about that structurelessness 
Um, it it does uh, it does have a compelling argument just for uh, also like for example the um, tagline to this movie is make a stand right mm-hmm. which is and cute. his stand is very very minor which is he doesn't want to sell hot dogs he wants to sell health food that's all although it is hilarious to me that the movie treats it like and with like a weirdo idea like that how is he mm-hmm. ever going to make it everyone in town is like what you don't have hot dogs and i'm like dude this dude would be a millionaire today food trucks are fucking everything that yeah. is life now and i mean it was made in 2010 that was yeah. less true but still not untrue there in, were already like, food Austin, trucks in texas shit. or wherever yeah. this was made right. you know like uh like if this was made in uh 2000 i would call it downright prescient but like yeah it's not it's not a crazy new it's idea. It's funny that There's... they treat his idea like it's a weird idea, but whatever. Yeah, but whatever. I also, th- I will say the weakest part of the movie to me actually is when it embraces traditional structure. So I don't like, <laughs> actually, I mean, maybe I... what I wrote is, and this is what sucks about being human, children listening to this, is that uh, it ends with him meeting a rich guy by chance and then all his dreams come true. And if you translate that to trying to make it in Hollywood, as Abe and I are trying to do, that is how capricious and frustrating it is. And I actually thought one of the highlights of the movie was the moment where he goes back to the guy who gave him the bank loan and he says, let's be honest, the bank loan you gave me was like an insult. No one could run a business on that little amount of money. You did it as a joke, but it worked out for me and I'm going to live happily ever after. But I need you to know, I just got lucky. That's all that happened. I just got lucky. That business should not have succeeded. And that is, I think, actually a pretty healthy dose of like self-awareness from Paul Gordon. And Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that as someone with a dog in this fight, it made me very sad and angry to, I was almost jealous of Bill. Like he was a real mm-hmm. person. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, oh, of course. He blows up because he meets some yeah. rich angel investor financier. What? That shit will never happen in real life. And then I wrote in my notes like, <clears throat> either someday after great struggle, that will happen to me in some form. Or it won't. And I will, or it won't. And what's funny and ironic about being a human animal is if it does happen to me, I'll tweet shit like, Never give up because your dreams do eventually come true. Stories are real. Like, you know, that's we enshrine that story because it's true. You work hard and you get it. Or if I don't get it, I'll tweet. The greatest lie in fiction is that there's fairness or a just reward at the end. You know what I mean? Like everyone just thinks whatever happens to them is validating of whatever reality is I love, when it's so far I love from the that truth. the in the story the mantle uh that reflects upon your internal turmoil or success is Twitter. Like that's so fucking funny to me. Like, oh yeah. The, yeah. Absolutely. Why I mean I, I mean in, in, in the in the end we are all just people in the darkness trying to shine our little light. You know that's and all we we're tell doing. these stories over and over that are like but the meek will inherit the earth. And it's like, mm-hmm. I really don't know if that's true. <laughs> right. But but I did like, I found myself comparing him talking to the brother-in-law to like the end scene of Lewin Davis. Um, like when he says, you let someone else get rich off your ideas because you don't believe in them enough. Mm-hmm. That almost pissed me off at the character as much as I'm pissed in Lewin Davis when the guy says, I don't hear money in it. So I did have very emotional, yeah. but I was in a highly receptive emotional state. So I get 
I get it's that. It's a weird movie. <laughs> it's one of those lessons. Yeah, for me, it's one of those lessons that is almost immediately redeemable. I guess what I mean by that is like when you th- it's one of those thoughts that when you have it, you go like, that's a good thought. That's a good thing to remember. That's universal. It should be. It keeps me humble. It's all those things like the the lucky idea, the idea of just I was lucky. Um, but it's also one of those like useless thoughts. And that's something that I I really wrestle with when I it's think good about to be the lucky. same question. And you're like, yeah, who he is cares? like, yeah, or fucking that's not great, helpful. yeah, fucker. You know, like <laughs> you're not helpful right now uh, because you know, and that's because I'm I'm I my my energy my brain is usually spent thinking about what I'm doing wrong or what I could be doing better, uh, which is a much different like platform to be thinking about your life than. I'm just rolling with the punches, which is very much what this guy's doing. Like when I was kind of dogging on him for being passionless, which I still argue he is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like there, uh, he laughs at one moment he, and I, it's so notable. I put, I put in the notes. Oh shit. He laughed. Like, he, was that a mistake? <laughs> this kind of laid back kind of laissez faire aspect about life, which I just don't share generally. Not that I haven't had moments that I've done that, but that you you have expressed like, Oh yeah, I was kind of in that way. Uh, when I was watching this, um, it, it really doesn't, of course i'm i'm the ears that it just falls flat upon you know like i'm not ready to hear it um i do think there is charm in this movie and i did want to say like i don't think it's entirely because it's just not my taste i do argue that that's probably most of it and someone can immediately dismiss me by saying like well you just don't like mumblecore movies so you're not gonna this mumblecore movie you're not gonna like it but it's like i i like for example like there's a scene that I did laugh at, which is when he's buying like in the first like 10 minutes, he's buying the hot dog stand itself from this guy they later call like the hot dog Nazi. I forget his yeah, name. He's, he's a, movie. to quote Buddy, Deep Space Nine. He's a soulless minion of orthodoxy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, uh, he actually cares. Like who gives a shit? He, he actually cares. cares that only hot dogs be sold from the hot dog. Yeah. Cart. yeah like you're weird. tarnishing the uh, stand by putting this vegan food in it. But yeah, he says he has a line where he goes, you get some wieners and buns and condiments and you're in business. Yep. And I just, the way he said it, along with the like cavalier conversation that they're having, I got big Christopher Guest energy. Like, I immediately mm-hmm. was tra- transported ah, to Pistachio Christopher Guest Nut. is a great example of mumblecore that works on you because it kind of shares what some. Works. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it's because the charm is in what you said at the top, which is that it is mundane and the lifelessness comes from the fact that it's not the moments that we go, oh, these are spectacular moments or moments in a someone's life that mattered. These are mundane moments that didn't matter, but they stack up, which is kind of what is closer to what life is uh, for, you know, the percentage of time that we're on the earth. And I think that there's truth to that. And I see that and I see humor in it, but I am distracted by like when you jump to at the end of the film, when you're saying like all the success story, I completely got 
out of that. Like I was out of like caring for what happened to Bill. Mm. And I was kind of frustrated when it just said eight months later. And then suddenly he's, he's a great he's success. Happy. I'm like, yeah. what did you build though? Like, cause you, there's nothing before this that made me think that you had the ability to do this. There's your, your motivational change was you met an asshole and he asked you a question, which I think is an honestly good question, which is, do you believe in the happy poet? And he goes, yeah. And he's like, I don't believe you. And he's like, you know what? Well, fuck you. I am the happy poet. And then he goes and does something. So I'm like, actually, I know they make that venture capitalist guy out to be an asshole. And he is because he's he's wearing a polo shirt and stuff, but he's instrumental and he's not asking horrible questions. He's asking legitimate questions. Uh, He's yeah, he, he may look like and he's framed as a douche. But he's dropping some wisdom and it seemed to knock Bill out of his funk. Um, I'm not saying that he's a good guy. I'm just saying that, like, what is the special sauce then to Bill that made him go, now I need to do something and get to work? I'm not sure, but I think More it has, so than what we saw before. That's what I mean is that in the end, I think that's ultimately the weakness is that there was an opportunity here to potentially say something sophisticated and nuanced or or fresh about fairness or unfairness or success or failure or passion and i can't think of what that thing is because if i could i would write a movie that ends with that insight right but you know right now in conversation but my point is uh for all of its mumble coreness and meandering and quote unquote structurelessness, i think the weak part of the movie to me is that it boils down by the end to a plot where a guy turns a small business into a big business, gets the girl, and a B plot where he makes an unlikely friend and then they have a falling out and then they make up. These are highly, highly recognizable traditional like yeah. arcs to the point that it feels like I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a safety net or there's something about that that bears deeper examination that isn't there. And it's more of an, but again, I go in this little tight circle because maybe that's the point because the whole point of Mumblecore is to be unassuming and not try to reinvent the thing. And then that's his point is he's saying, I have a lot of passion, but that passion isn't behind something necessarily, right? Like it's important that he's a poet. I don't have to make, I don't have to apply my passion to, I don't have to apply my passion, first of all, to my facial muscles. I don't owe it to you to prove I'm passionate. I think that is True. a point of the film. Um, I prove I'm passionate through my actions. I I yeah. got the ingredients. I made the cart. I'm standing here, right? I showed right. up. And that should be all it takes. And it shouldn't have to be about any particular art. As Curtis says, the way you live your life can be a work of art. And he goes, uh, yeah, that's right. And my passion is just that I will choose to take the sequence of steps that do the thing. I just think for my money, I like insights beyond, and then it worked out for him. But I do like that he comments, you know, it's just because I got lucky. So it's like, there's nuance, but there could have been more. It's a good movie. It's not a great movie. This is where I'm landing with it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think where it's weak is when it clings to... Well, that's how a movie would go, like a real movie. So let's just go that way. Um, Especially when it gets to the point where, well, uh, I thought there was a good joke that really embodies this, but I actually find it a weakness of Bill. To me, the least likable thing about Bill is something that I totally get going over your head in 2010, but in 2022 feels a lot more urgent, which is 
Bill is a cis hetero white guy who ends up landing a girl who's, you know, he's punching above his weight from terms of traditional attractiveness or what have you. And that's not my problem with Bill. My problem with Bill is that um, a guy comes up and says, you're never going to succeed selling, quote, faggy food like that. And he just lets it slide. And his other friend says, dudes were made to pound puss. That's what women are for. And he lets it slide. And indeed, that character becomes his best friend and business partner. And I think in 2022, there's more of an onus that we're aware of that like, that's weird. He should have said something like it's on you to actually you should report that shit or you know what I mean? Like it's and and they separate yourself from that toxicity. They do make a joke about it that I actually laughed hard at, which is when he says, you should have told that Nazi to go fuck himself. And he goes, yeah, well, that's essentially what I did was tell him to go fuck himself. No, you didn't. You didn't say shit. You you didn't say shit. He immediately also after says, and the reason I didn't like tell him that. So it's like, he's like, the reason I didn't literally say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like staring him right in the face. That's Um, that I, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely It was funny to me, but I also thought like, like uh, Donnie never gets a called out for, being such a bastard. And I thought that was kind of odd if just from yeah. the 2022 lens. And it's also interesting that in between then and now, uh, Bob's burgers did an episode about, they started delivery service, but then someone starts piggybacking to sell weed on the weed, route yeah. and it breaks out in the exact same way. Yeah. That's neither yeah. here nor there. Um, more mm. than Bob's burgers, more than anything, this felt like, uh, a flavor of Mike judge to me. It felt like extract, it felt like Silicon Valley at moments. Um, yeah, it's you, it's kind of antithetical. King to of the me. Hill. For it's sure. antithetical to Mike Judge to me in statement, even though I'd say that in style and form, there's a lot of similarities. I think Mike Judge is more occupied with uh, kind of the sadness of of opportunities lost. As opposed to this, which is definitely about like being happy with the small victories. Um, I think that they're they're a different worldview when it comes down to it. That's just me though. Um, mm. Mike Judge is so occupied. Like, look at Idiocracy is like the to me is the most Mike Judge thing ever made, and its whole premise is like, oh, the dumb inherited the earth and it's all fucked. You know. Um, oh, I, that's interesting. So to me, King, I think it depends where you grab the handle, right? Where you grab Mike Judge by. To me, sure. King of the Hill is the most Mike Judge thing ever, and I just think it's very compelling that there's that one of its signature jokes is four guys standing still, going, "Yep, mm-hmm." Yeah, yep. it's like yeah. it's the most that's mumblecore true. thing that's ever made it to primetime adult animation <laughs> for sure. Uh, that's true. I do think, yeah, that uh, King of the Hill definitely has like I guess a TV show will always uh, be able to show so many more colors than a statement like a film, true. like a fe- feature film with a thesis. His thesis is usually look at look at uh, look at these animals being stupid uh it's kind of beautiful and kind of and kind of a tragedy um but this guy doesn't really want to focus on the tragedy as much or like uh paul gordon he he does like choose a basic tragic element which is that he i guess technically the guy wants to do something straight from the rip you know it's like we don't even have an inciting incident we just 
we fire on all cylinders from the first scene. I am want to start That's this. Funny to say, but Bill yeah. never refused the call. He was ready. He to never be a refused hero the call from step one. From yeah. step one, which is you know, but like it's because of the because the choice is not that big. It's just almost like a declaration of self, which is what the movie is about. So it actually works. Uh, now you can be bored by that because you can compare it to like in Indiana Jones or, or something. in Top Gun. His declaration yeah. of self was blowing shit up i like yeah. that <laughs> but it's it's uh it's commentary is not reserved for the reflection of how other people choose to see you it's a reflection of how you choose to see yourself right that is what the movie's about and so i i don't know i guess that, that that's that's all i have to say about the distinction between like mike judge and uh paul sure. gordon but you mentioned the Duplass brothers. Uh, yeah. I highly recommend if you do like stuff like this or this conversation is tickling your fancy Paddleton. Have you seen Paddleton? I haven't seen most. I've seen like maybe six Mumblecore movies. It's Duplass. One of the Duplasses, <laughs> you know, I can't tell them apart. It's the guy from Creep with Ray Romano. Right. Right. I think Mark. And... Uh, it's Mark just is the, the league and the the more successful quote yeah, unquote one. Yeah. yeah, they're neighbors and they are uh, friends, but not super close friends. Mm -hmm. And one of them gets cancer and dies over time. And the uh, they become closer over the course of that, and the guy helps him, and mm -hmm. you know holds him when he dies ultimately. And it is devastating dude and it's really really uh makes you sonder hard it makes you yeah. feel like look at a little tacky apartment building and be like i wonder what huge emotions are swirling inside that little box um so i don't know it's it's less mumblecore than this and uh, i highly recommend paddleton for the feels it gave me but yeah. uh i and i do think that's the strength of stuff that I guess I'll say this. Mumblecore is an interesting pool from which I think we can draw learnings and tropes and little asides that make for interesting flourishes in mm -hmm. quote unquote real movies. I don't like a movie that goes full Mumblecore usually. Um, so yeah, this this is ultimately not my favorite movie, but I still think it makes for a very interesting discussion. And when I said I only laughed at the end, that was untrue. There were a couple moments I laughed. Like, did you laugh... Cause I like that. It's such as it's his identity. It's the only thing we know about him is that he's mm -hmm. a vegan vegetarian. And the moment when he goes, Oh, I actually wouldn't call myself. A I mean, I still eat meat. Uh, yeah, sometimes, that was so. like a little <laughs> fucking like, that is funny yeah that's funny that's uh, funny. i also liked uh there's this kind of it feels like it was written by someone who isn't a vegetarian or there's just like really broad vegetarian talk like he's like oh she's like uh first time he meets agnes like it's the uh there's this interaction and like this kind of like melding of them two there's a like slight flirtation about like what like he's doing and what he's all about and he's describing the same Sandwich, and he describes his sandwich that he's like yeah it's pretty good it's got a lot of uh, good veggies on it yeah. <laughs> it's just like i guess that's technically true about vegetarians they would like something that has a quote lot of good veggies a lot on of it. good veggies yeah uh, yeah similar to um you got those hot dogs with the nitrous in it you mean nitrates 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me two of them motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that the the improv does sing. Of course you, you get good, good moments. People. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it Tell also go, yeah. creates some of the moments that are like, man, that did not land. And you just... Like you could, you should have edited that out, but for some reason you loved it, um, which, yeah, I guess that kind of. So, we talked about earlier about like how we reflected on the making of a movie in 2010. I think this is pertinent in this point in this conversation to talk mm -hmm. about ego um, a little bit. I, I here's what I'll say. Writing, directing, and starring in a film is very tough. I've never actually done all three of those roles, uh, but I've done some of them. I know that you've kind of done, uh, you know, part of, parts of those roles as well. So we've always had the benefit of each other. But you know as well as I do that when you're in that role, especially in the, the creative seat, the catbird seat, you doubt yourself constantly. You ask yourself, is this movie, like, going to do anything mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it doesn't get that much better throughout the process. You're not sure what it will become. Your back is against the wall. Uh, that shot is not quite what you wanted. Every day kind of racks your uh, nerves in a way that you get this. There's real existential threat real fast. If mm -hmm. And that's, you know, what you were talking about it's with your, your current state. <laughs> and it takes an alarming amount of ego or faith in your project to bring it across the finish line. So I do want to commend Paul Gordon just because like, this is not an easy thing to do. Uh, there is, we could dunk on the production design, the lighting all day. I mean, oh, it, it's, it will never stop it's laughable. Me his climactic emotional close-up monologue of him. Yeah. And he's the star and director. Right. The lighting is so, so bad. You can't see it's, his face. It's yeah, like, why yeah. did you do that? Well, you, there's no, yeah. It's like, you didn't even watch, you've never watched a movie. You're like, or don't you want, don't you but, have enough ego that you want your money shot to look good? You don't even mm -hmm. want your own close-up to look good. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah, when you, when you, I love there's a whole beat that it almost feels like, you know, uh, this is inside baseball, but like, it feels like a channel one-on-one days, you know, like where, uh, things are like when he, there's a beat of the story where it's like, he bought a stand that has a hot dog on it, like on display. So he tries to kind of cover it up because the first day he goes out there, they're all like, they think he's selling hot dogs and he's like not. So he starts covering it up and he adds like a, you know, black, uh, black chalkboard and he adds, you know, he covers it with like some, some duct tape essentially. Uh, and it's just like, okay, so that was out of necessity. But then later in the film, they mention like, oh, I just, so I see you took away all those buzzes and whistles when he decides that he's going to sell hot dogs because he just needs to make a profit. His dark night of the soul. His yeah. dark night of the soul and there's a commentary about like that's i thought like it had personal it had personality like your personalizations were some of the best part of the cart and i was like really that was someone's takeaway when they look at that shitty cart and it was just like man you it is a separation to me that it's just like didn't you care about that aspect of the, of the movie but to play my own devil's advocate i remember when we were making kill me now when i was you know doing the dp thing and trying and just worrying about all these small little details and problems that I felt like I was the only one who could really do it. Uh, and just this Sisyphusian kind of ordeal that it was waking up every day that I'm just like, I can't worry about that. There's just some problems that stack up and you just are like, I, I'm sorry. I wish I had the a perfect amount of time with the perfect amount of resources to solve that problem. But I just can't care because there's just too many other demands of my time. 
And mm. that is to me, like that's the nutshell of this movie when we talk about ego in this way. And I think an ego, the ego of a lot of mumblecore films, which is like, if they don't, they don't feel that like the social contract of life that says like you put this energy in these things and you get magic machine of life spits out thing that says, this is what you get back. Uh, most mumblecore movies essential to almost all their theme. They're like, that whole system is stupid and fucked and I don't believe in it. And I respect that message. I really do. Uh, and it's kind of part and parcel with your, you know, the, the theme of this movie, which is, you know, kind of, I got lucky, uh, or not theme, but rather resolution of this movie. And Mm -hmm. I think that that kind of transactional view of reality is a delusion. Um, and, but it's also the one that we put our stock into every time we go out and make a movie. So I do think it's about ego, but it's about the hypocrisy of it. Uh, and every time, I get in that funk or I get like kind of like what you were saying where sometimes, you know, you're just like, what the fuck is this <laughs> all about? It's usually because I feel like I've been wronged by life, right? That I like life has not exchanged to me the things that I wish then that as it you, did. As soon as you think that your brain exactly. reflects back, if you're like me, your mind the also reflects yeah. back to you. The whole spectrum of human suffering and like, who are you to fucking? There's yeah. medieval peasants who are tortured the, on the, the rack ego and on shit. This asshole yeah, yeah, is yeah, what exactly. I say to myself in a yeah. dark room. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think that that this scratches at the surface of it. This this meaning, this movie, but it's the theme, the 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 concept, the uh, the digging that this movie's starting to do, is very interesting and very uh, at the heart of mumblecore. And I, you know respect is due but i do think that that is like you pointed out i thought we're gonna probably in this podcast get a little bit more traction on the whole idea of like uh you know we're Mm. we're we're putting uh our faith in our movie in order to like cross cross the finish line and that's not really that's not exactly how it goes every time. Uh, well, yeah, the idea, well, that's why it. it makes me so angry, right? If right. you've spent years of your life trying to do something that you believe is your calling or something and some rich asshole tells you, you didn't succeed because you don't believe in yourself enough, you go, dude, dude, don't, dude, that's not why, up. okay? Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> like, don't. I get that. I totally get that yeah. from Bill. Yeah. <laughs> so, like... Yeah. So I don't have to validate how much I care about my own goals in life to you. You know, like I get that position. Um, Yeah. It just feels kind of like a betrayal of Mumblecore when it just goes eight months later and everything's great. (laughs) Well, I think that that, yeah, I think that that is kind of what Mumblecore is, but it's a betrayal to story stories (laughs) to me Uh, because it's like the punchline is, and then he did the thing and And then he's fine. fine. It (laughs) It is like, Oh good. I'm glad I was on for him. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Um, Um, I really laughed at, uh, also, I like what you did there with the uh, cursive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that font, that font's kick ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, it's uh, the other, right? It's like, if you're numb, <laughs> this is, if you're numb, then stuff is, tiny little stuff is more noticeable. So it's just the idea of like, uh, little jokes get bigger laughs because they're bathed in a 
sea of calm. Like we're just being very calm the whole time. So a little joke can make you laugh in a way that you wouldn't if it was crowded out by right. a bunch of punchlines. Right. There's um when I was in when they were teaching st- like they did they, like I'm sure you had the same like story class but they they will often draw and I know Vonnegut has like on YouTube you can watch his lectures mm-hmm. about this kind of thing they usually a teacher will bring out this whiteboard and then draw like a bell curve you know like a cosine and be like that's story right there cuz these are this is the action this is the lift this is the, you know like the downfall of the character and you kind of map it to some kind of like the axes are strangely like the momentum of your story, but also like tragedy and despair versus happiness and elation, you know, like uh, there's, there's a lot of things going into it. It's this nebulous kind of concept. And um, there's a teacher when he he was doing it uh, was uh, saying like that he has this joke where he's like, and here's like a Michael Bay film. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's just a line at the very top just saying like everything is exciting all the time and it's you and usually he i think he would use that to turn that discussion into a quote that spielberg had which Mm -hmm. is that uh when someone was like i just like your movies because they're like boring or not boring at all is something and spielberg's response was like no you need boring parts of a movie if you don't have boring parts of a movie they won't know what's exciting you don't have exciting parts yeah and i don't think he means that literally i think he's just saying the relative kind of dynamics are important because if you don't have dynamics people don't know what to focus on or how to focus on the things that they're focusing on and And mumblecore is an experiment and saying well what if we didn't anyway let's ignore that rule yeah the viewer (laughs) had to figure that shit out like what's the resonant line what's the nonsense line what's a joke what's not a joke uh and i and it's like we give you fewer clues than usual to that shit yeah i have respect for that but it's one of the same reasons i like film more than i like theater i'm very much a fan of deliberate intention and being taken on for a ride i like sitting in my chair and going (laughs) through a tunnel and going (laughs) yeah and they go look at this thing i go yeah and then they're like look at that thing and i'm like yeah that's what i want why because it's it it makes it a little bit more palatable the idea of being a human Mm -hmm. but you know that's just I think why we like movies, that's not necessarily a testament to this, to this particular movie. Uh, but you know, that is what it is, I guess. Do what you got to do to get by. You got to take life by the sack because it'll take you by the sack and it'll squeeze dude. And you got to be the one doing the squeezing. And then Bill says, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do now. Be the one doing the squeezing. I think that's, that's most jokes in this movie, right? Is where it's like, that's, that's funny because he wouldn't say something like that. Right. Or that's information that people, that's the world will throw people at you all the time that say that's how you live life because that's my experience. Right. And exactly. There are some people that just does not work on like that. It's just, nah, I don't buy that. Yeah. I did. I also really liked, and then I'll be done cherry picking jokes to try and get you to like the movie more. But I think the last <laughs> big laugh for me was after he reads Chasm, which is his horribly dark, depressing poem that has imagery that invokes like crawling into a vagina and dying and shit. And mm-hmm. he goes, he looks at a reaction and he says, oh, so, OK, so I guess the humor 
didn't jump out at you and you're like oh to him that was a funny poem yeah. okay that was a really good moment to me right there's a little bit like mitch hedberg in that but like mm -hmm. i don't know i guess my point is at, in the middle of the movie, I thought Paul Gordon in real life might be really pretentious and boring to hang out with. And then by the end of the movie, I thought, oh, no, no, oh, no he's, he's just funny. a guy. He's just like, a he's guy. a guy. Yeah. He would be a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I have no distaste for the man. <laughs> Paul Gordon or personally. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. no. Nor, nor his movies. Mm -hmm. um, no, yeah. No, I I, I think I like it, like it adequately. <laughs> Yeah. So the resolution uh, is that you finally find a rich dude who swoops in and lets you achieve your dream. And that will happen for all of us. That's going to happen for everyone. And um, there are also movies that are about when it doesn't happen for you. Yeah. Uh, and Speaking we call those tragedies. Davis. Yeah. But that is what's that's what's amazing is that they uh, I just it's so compelling to me that it seems to be the two stories we tell, right? Or in some ways you can bucket every story to a validation that the universe is fair and there is cause and effect and comeuppance for bad people and reward for good people with good hearts and movies that are about how that's not true. There isn't that. And what's those are the only two stories we have. What's the, uh, and <laughs> that's the, the co and that's why the bell curve is like a cosine or a sine wave. It's up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. But, um, what's the line? I feel like it's, I'm a dummy cause I didn't study literature long enough, but I feel like, mm -hmm. I don't know. The, the, uh, the only difference between a tragedy and a comedy is one ends with a wedding and one ends with a funeral. The funeral. Right. Yeah, right. but it's still the same sequence of events. Or there's the Joan Didion, I believe, story about how it has a bunch of different stories of the way this couple's life could turn out, but everyone ends with, and then they died eventually. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the end. That's always the end. I am, <laughs> like, but I am so much more invested in the machinations of why that's true. Like there, I remember my eyes opened up in like high school and my English professor told me, about just navigating this space and saying like, okay, imagine there's a woman in a, like she's in, clearly wearing like one of her best dresses and she's standing by a curb and all you get is you just get like a basic shot or he didn't design it. He didn't talk about it like shots. I just, you know, that's all I can think of. Uh, but a car drives by and uh, splashes a puddle and ruins her dress. And he's like, context matters, right? If I were to have told you uh, up leading to that point that this woman is a piece of shit and just right. has like shit upon all of the people in her family, abandoned all the people that love her, you would find that maybe a comedic moment or at least you might t have some catharsis that was a little different than if she was the reverse of that. And if everything leading up to that moment was completely uh, done fueling the idea that she is a good person. Um, to me that those mechanics, that context building and that those dynamics, like Spielberg would say, are to me how you make good stories and talk to people from across the divide. You say, now look at these basic truths and then let me build with these little Lincoln logs, a, a tiny little house for you to kind of sit in. Um, this doesn't want to be play with the Lincoln logs. It wants the philosophical conversation, which it has definitely gotten out of us, 
But I don't know if I would have had this conversation if I wasn't supposed to be on a microphone at 11 a.m. on a Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would necessarily have these revelations from Mumblecore unless I was requested to try to find some meaning out of it. Um, I mm-hmm. think that because I think what gets in the way is the lack of interest in the medium that he's working in, the lack of care for trying to create a film that is engaging to the audience in every moment in one way or another is a distraction. I can only think about it the whole time about how it's not trying to please me. (laughs) I know that that's a very arrogant thing, but it's arrogant to be an audience member. You know, like I paid for a movie, give me a show. Um, And that to me is like, I don't know. That's the only thing keeping me from liking this movie. Because like I said, Christopher Guest, one of the funniest comedians in the world. He, yep. he What is he doing that this guy isn't doing? His and jokes are just as good. It says something very similar to a sentiment that Vonnegut summed up very well, I think, which is that humans inherently, for better or worse, want to be loved unconditionally. Meaning... They want to believe that their life and existence has value just mm-hmm. because they didn't ask to be born and they were anyway and they're here now. They don't want to earn it. They don't want it to be contingent on what they can do for you or service-based. Everyone is seeking some proof that other people will love them just because they're here. And uh, I think that's very apt and true. And I think that's very mumblecore. Yeah. Just show up. Just uh, show up. I yeah. don't know. As we Ag- did. Agape, uh, or, yeah, is that it? Agape? Carpe diem? Car- yeah, something like that. But <laughs> Grab the, the nuts. Yeah, I think that's a like, Christian concept. That, Carpe you know, diem nuts. Carpe diem That must have been right, said thousands of times by now. Well, yeah. you want to do jokes, but I'll tell you that, Michael, I love mm-hmm. you. I love you. Let's I love you, make man. a stand. Let's make a stand, or, you know what, fuck it. Let's go play some video games. Hell yeah. Right. Fuck it, dude. Let's go, Tiny Tinas. <laughs> All right. Let's well, go thank tiny you tinas. again yeah. to Aaron, Defender of the Galaxy. Whew. Mm-hmm. Galaxy's safe. That's good to know. That takes know. a load off my and mind. And thank you for your service. Yeah. Thank you for your service and for your support. If you'd like to support our further endeavors, head on over to patreon.com slash smallbeans. You'll get access to a bunch of exclusive podcasts. And you'll also help us keep the old lights on. If you want to support us at the Pick the Flick tier, you can make us watch a movie. And then we'll talk about how we didn't love it. We didn't hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. That'll be fun. Aaron, if this is like, uh, man, I was hoping they would think this is awesome. And one half of us at least was shitting on it the whole time. I, I just, ho- yeah, I just I hope, hope it was a illuminating conversation. It was for me. It was for me. So hopefully that translated. So thank All you right. for that. Till next time. We love you. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monsters. Beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you! <laughs>